happened in resurrection studies in the last 30 years. When I went to graduate school, <laughs> middle ages, it was the 1970s. Uh, if you talked about, I'll pick a topic. If you talk about the empty tomb, there'd be a lot of snickering and nobody but evangelicals who published in that area would accept it. If you talked about resurrection appearances of Jesus, Rudolf Bultmann died in 1976. He probably dominated, he and Karl Barth dominated a century of theology. Bultmann was a skeptic and people were still in his shadow when I was in grad school. And if you mentioned appearances, everybody would have laughed. Seriously. Today, the majority of New Testament scholars, theologians, historians, and philosophers who publish in the area believe in the empty tomb, almost two thirds. And where in the 70s, if you talked about bodily appearances of Jesus, they'd say, yeah, that's nice. Go back to your church and talk about it, but don't do it on a university campus. Today, bodily resurrection is the predominant view in the academy. Well, God bless you. Welcome to Prophetic Whispers. And I gave that intro. Uh, that is the great Dr. Gary Harambas, and he is the um, head, one of the leading voices in the nation and in the world regarding the resurrection and the evidence of the resurrection and um we're, we're going to we're going to be uh going through a process here on the on the podcast regarding all the aspects of the resurrection the data of the resurrection and i'm and, and i've kind of waited a week or so to begin to push this information out because of um the freshness of the resurrection Sunday, um, the 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 amount of coverage that was in churches regarding the resurrection. Now, now that we've gone through that, we know Jesus rose from the dead. We celebrate that, but now we're going to look at the data that supports it because this is not a this is not just a Christian belief. This is a historical belief. Okay, this is a historical belief. The facts, the facts are in. Okay, the evidence is irrefutable. In fact, in fact, some of some of us as Christians, we we have to begin to realize that the that the gospel, that Christianity, is is uh, by nature falsifiable. In other in other words, that uh, you know, prove that it's wrong. Prove that it's wrong. Just you know, Jesus was was told Thomas, touch and see and feel. You know, when they did not believe their eyes, come and touch me, come and feel me. You know, the appearances of Christ uh, that that are in the New Testament that are recorded, those are evidential data. That's data. And so when I started looking at this again, uh, especially com the the half-heartedness that the church has taken towards the miracles and the and the and the move of the spirit and the miracles of God in the church today, um, I, I began to I, I really wanted to attack this as at a evidential perspective, so that it's not just believisms. You know, well, why do you believe in the resurrection? Because the Bible said so. No, it's 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 deeper than that, and it should be deeper than that. The 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 falsifiability of the gospel, it's is power. Prove it wrong. 
If you look at some of the uh, books that are, are written on the resurrection, many of the authors became followers of Christ because of the resurrection. They went to disprove it and it ended up uh, being proven um, correct, right, true, and they had to do something with it. So one one of the things I wrote on, on my Facebook page and my Instagram page and to send this out to certain people as I began to look at this data was was that uh, to the skeptic, I said, uh, Christ rose from the dead. And to the atheist, I wrote, Christ rose from the dead. And then to the Christian, those that go to church, those that are singing songs, Christ rose from the dead. Because it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter. Those things just do not matter. The fact is you're going to have to wrestle with the fact of the evidence. What are you going to do with the risen Savior? What are you going to do with the empty tomb? What are you going to do with the commandments of God? Very important to look at the data. Not just because your church says so your favorite preacher says so, but what does the data show? What does the historical data show? How did we come to these major conclusions over the years from 80, 30, 30 to 80, 37, 38? Where, where, do we, where do we come up with all this? We're going to get into all this in future lessons. We're going to be looking at the data. We're going to be looking at uh, time frames. We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul when he came to the Lord. But uh, we're going to be looking at a few of the rules today to get us started. Because again, we're going to go through the data of the resurrection. We're going to, we're going to go through the proofs of the resurrection. Okay. We're going to look at the hard evidence. Okay. And, and some of the, uh, some of the skeptics such as, uh, Bart Ehrman, the New Testament scholar at uh, North Carolina, which is the leading skeptic. And in fact, he, he claims to destroy the, the resurrection, but he can't, he can't dismiss it. He can't dismiss the evidence of what the data shows. He, he just, he can't refute it. So he just ignores it and wants to live life the way he wants to live life. And he tries to find faults and criticisms regarding the New Testament, the Bible, how it was written, the, you know, the scholars, the skeptic, you know, from the, from the perspective of where the, where the disciples reliable, were, were the transcripts, the earliest transcripts reliable, did they doctor them and all, all these um, criticisms. And again, you have to realize the Bible and the gospel and Christianity must be falsifiable. He wants you to check it out. He wants you to look at the text. He wants you to look at the evidence. So let's, as Christians, we should be emboldened because as they look at the evidence, as um, Dr. Gary um, Herrenbos said in the opening, Okay, in the 70s, there's no way you can you can uh, come into a university and talk about an empty tube and a risen savior. Now that is now that is that is almost that is almost 80 percent, 80 75 to 80 percent of all scholars now use the resurrection as evidential and uh, evidentiary confirmation, and they can't refute it. They may not like it, but they cannot refute the resurrection because of all the data, all the historicity that's there. It's historical. And so we're going to look at, at some, of the, some of the laws real quick. I'll lay out a few laws before I get into 
who I want to talk about first. Okay, the rules of history. Okay, how early? How early were the writings? Okay, how early were the writings? How early to the event were the writings? Okay, that's that's extremely important. Eyewitnesses. Who were the eyewitnesses? Or were they reliable eyewitnesses? Multiple attestations. How many people will attest to this? Enemy attestation. In other words, those that were against Christ, those that were against the resurrection, do they attest to an empty tomb? Do they attest to this? Who are they? Embarrassments. This is part of life. You know, the humanity, you know, Paul, Paul writes in the in in um in Galatians that uh, and Philippians that he was the chief of sinners that he killed the Christians the, the, you know the, the the humanity you know Peter in his um, in his uh, turning back on Christ those embarrassment moments how how real is this coherence can we understand this is this logical could this because of the evidence does it come to a logical conclusion so for this reason. Okay, the rules of history. I believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents. Okay, written by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place regarding specific prophecies and claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. So when I began to look at this the Bible, our Bible, our Holy Bible. I'm looking at history. I'm looking at documentation, data that can be traced, people that actually live. In fact, as we, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look today at James, the brother of Jesus, okay? And why this resurrection is so important because don't forget the rules. How early were, how early uh, to the event were the writings, the sayings, the, the oral traditions if you will, that Jesus rose from the dead. How early were they to this? Okay, I'll, I'll give, we're going to get into timelines and stuff like that so you can track this as we go through the resurrection. And so how how early were the witnesses? You know, how early were the writings, the, doc, the documentation, you know, to the event? Eyewitnesses, you know, who were the eyewitnesses? And uh, the multiple attestations, how many other people can testify of this? Okay, so now we're going to look at we're going to look at James, the brother of Jesus. This is important because of the resurrection. What happened because of the resurrection and James? And we know from biblical account, people that were with Jesus, people that lived with Jesus, had a perspective of him, and not all of it was favorable. We know we know that Matthew in the book of Matthew thirteen uh, fifty three through fifty eight. Okay, it, it it reads this way. Now it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there, and when he came to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? So again, we have this wisdom and mighty works. Is this not the, the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary, his mother called Mary and his brother James? Now again, he begins to name a physical lineage, a human lineage. He begins to bring in people that lived with him. The mother, the brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Don't forget James and Jude, James writes, James has a historical context, and so does Jude, okay? Joseph and Simon and Jude. So now we have four brothers, okay? We have four brothers and at least two sisters, and his sisters, and they not all of us, and his sisters, are they not all with us? In other words, the whole clan was there. When then did the man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, and in his own house. So Jesus began to 
leak out the perspective of the house, how the house viewed him, their lack of honor, how even his own house did not honor him as a prophet or even as what we would later be discovered as the Lord of all. But we, we will get to that. Now, he did not do many works among them because of their unbelief. So now again, we have this we have this family picture, this historical, relational, early people that were right there with Jesus, grew up with Jesus, and Jesus leaks out the fact that they did not honor him. They did not look fairly upon him. John chapter 7, 1 through 9, right? It, it says this. This gives it, this is this is another. This is another picture of how James viewed Jesus, how Jude viewed Jesus, how the brothers and the family viewed Jesus. And these things, Jesus walked around in Galilee, for he did not want to go into Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go to Judea, for your disciples also may see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be made known. In other words, you want to be famous, the place to go is is into Judea. But Jesus says, wait a minute, wait a minute, man. Okay, because he's revealing to them the heart of the brothers. The brothers are saying, you're braggadocious. You just want to be famous. You just, you know, today you just want to be an influencer. You just want your podcast to go, go viral. You just want your, you know, you just want to be famous on Instagram. You just, you know, it's, it's that idea. They thought that Jesus was just wanted to be famous. They, I mean, again, these are these are perspectives that the brothers and the family had of Jesus. He says, hey, if you want to be famous, don't do what you do privately. Go where all the people are. Go to Judea. He goes, that you, your, your disciples, uh, the works that you are doing, they may see it. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. Now that is huge. That's huge because it gives you, gives you the perspective of James. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is already here. In other words, I'm here and I'm here for your time. We have this chronos together. We have this chronology together and I'm here, but I'm really here for you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to his, you go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast for my time has not yet come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. So again, we see this, we see this picture here of the family, the brothers, that they did not believe him. They wanted him to, they wanted him to, um, to go into Judea because the Jews wanted to kill him. They did not like Jesus. They did not want him. You know how families are. You know how family uh, relationships are. You know, it, when somebody in your family does not like you, when somebody has grown up with you and they know your highs and your lows, Okay, they know they know um, how you are. How easy is it for them to accept your greatness? How easy is it for them to to really um, embrace the way others embrace you? No, they have a perspective about you. And they thought Jesus was crazy. Okay, now and I'll show you this. Mark 3, 13 through 20. Okay, because again, it, it's the old Proverbs that in Proverbs 18, 19, that an offended brother, an offended brother, somebody that's offended, okay, is like a is like a city that's that that has bars around it. Who can deliver him? Okay, who can change this? Who can break? A brother through these bars that 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 imprison 
accusing him with the offense. These people were offended. His brothers were offended with Jesus. Mark 3, 13 through 20 says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and he and he and to have power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bargonas, that is, son of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, and Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. Now watch this. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not even eat bread. There was just so many people. Watch this. But when his own people, his family, heard about this, when they saw it, they went out to lay hold of him, and they said, for they said, he is out of his mind. In other words, his po- they, they could not they could not believe the prophetic thread that w- was unfolding in front of them. They they couldn't they did not like it. They did not want it. it was pressure. In fact, some some um, some of the early uh, scholars say that that um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were putting pressure on the family uh, to shut Jesus down. You know, putting the peer, the family pressure on him. That's why they would go and try to shut him down. Okay, they thought he was out of his mind. This is very this is very difficult to redeem. Okay, this is very difficult to redeem and to and to pull something through through these bars of offense. They were offended with Jesus. They were offended with what Jesus said. They were offended with how popular he was and how famous he was. They were, they were, they, they were not part of the fan club. Matthew 12, 26 through 50 says this, while he was still talking to the multitudes, his mother and brothers stood outside. Okay. The multitudes are there, but his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to them, to one who told him, who is my mother and who is my brother? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the the will of my father is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, now we start beginning to see how even Jesus uh, was beginning to push back and put a dividing wall between him and his family. The lack of honor, their perspectives about him, their unbelief put a barrier there. His brothers were offended. Offend- Listen, when people are offended with you, how hard is it for them to lean into you? How hard is it for them to to embrace you. But now this resurrection, again, we're talking about how early were the writings, how who were the eyewitnesses. Well, James is an eyewitness to who Jesus was, grew up with him in his own household. So now for, for time's sake, don't forget, because when you have the resurrection, you counted 50 days because 50 days was the day of Pentecost when the spirit of God fell and we know what happened. When you look at that timeline, let's just, let's just start, let's just say, because most scholars agree that that the crucifixion took place in AD 30 or AD 33. Between AD 30 and AD 33, people can fight here or there with that a year or two, you know, in the middle. It, it doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is, is that it did happen. The resurrection. After the resurrection, according to Acts chapter 1, 1 through 3, it says this. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both 
do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commands to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We have this, we have this, this, this document here, this data here given by Luke here, this account that gives you the nature, that gives you the nature of the writings and how historical and how close, how close to the event the writings took place. The proofs, he uses this, this what we would call uh, evidence or statements that can be used in court, evidence, infallible proofs. Okay, the the criteria for certainty. That's that's the idea of of infallible truths. The, what is the criteria for certainty? What makes you believe? Well, you, you have to see it. You have to feel it. You have to hear it. You have that you have that expert witness to these things. So Jesus Himself was there for forty days, appearing to people. Okay, First Corinthians fifteen. We'll talk. We'll talk about that later. But He appeared to to. A multitude of people, four or five hundred people. Okay, Paul refers to that. But let, let's just stay on on track here with this idea. This idea of where where we're going with this uh, initial lesson. So so here you have Acts talking about the infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. So now you have this revelation knowledge that Jesus Christ himself was giving to people, the apostles, the disciples, maybe even some of the multitudes. We don't know. We don't know uh, the extent of what he said to the multitudes or those four or 500 people that Paul refers to in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 7. We don't have that we don't have the names of them and we'll get into the nature of that later okay on the witnesses on why some why some people's names are in the bible jesus did so many miracles so many but there are certain people that have their names in the bible like jarius and blind man barnabas and and those you know the um those those people that why are their names uh, so so uh ingrained within the word of god and there's some theories that i'll lay out to you as we go further in the evidential process, okay, on why their names are there and maybe so many anonymous names, like, and he went and healed all the sick, okay, and he healed, uh, and he healed, but they don't give the names of all the people that he healed, but yet certain ones, he do, he does put their names in there, and that's very important, and there's a, there's a specific reason that historians believe that um, certain, certain names are there and certain ones aren't there, okay, but we have this text here in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 3, where, where we see that that um, Luke is writing, Luke is writing about the infallible proofs, and he also includes the Holy Spirit, okay, after through he through the Holy Spirit had given commands to the apostles. So we have a, we have a direct message, we have, we have direct messaging to the apostles from Jesus himself after the resurrection, and it's notated. What is said there? Well, that, that, that's part of that, 
That's part of that uh, 50 days. That's part of that mystery of, of his appearing and him, him meeting people and saying things to people that would change their lives forever, that would cause Christianity to go throughout eternity, okay? To go to, to the ends of the age, gives, gives it the power message, okay, if you will. So here you have Acts chapter 1, uh, 1 through 3, which really solidifies, it solidifies the, the message of the gospel of the early church, of the conversion of Paul, and why Peter and James and every one of his disciples that turned their back on Christ, those 50 days of appearances and discussions that Jesus had with them is vitally important, especially to the evidential, the evidence of the gospel, okay? Now, when you look at the nature of the Bible, when you look at the nature of uh, Luke and and Acts and the importance of it, you have to look at Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, because again, it gives you the picture of how your Bible comes together and how the evidence comes together and how it, it uh, the culmination of, of oral traditions, of, of speaking things that were actually happened, the reality that these people lived in, they, they believed in verifying and they believed, they believed that their oral traditions were sacred and they didn't just didn't make up stories. They held everything by truth. That that's that has to be into the, the memory bank of every Christian, okay, as you defend the gospel. That if there were oral traditions, okay, that meaning story passed on to, to one to another of what they witnessed and what they saw, but they would only do that if it was true. Well, Luke chapter one, one through four says this, because Luke, again, you know, Acts chapter one and, and uh, act, the book of Acts and the book of Luke, listen, you know, they kind of start off the same because they're writing to this this man by the name of um, Theophilus, okay? A high-ranking man, um, you know, probably very prominent that, that Luke was writing these letters to or this historical um, document he was writing this to Theophilus. And he writes this, In as much as taken in hand, as in as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having the perfect understanding. That's important. A perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know that certain for that you may know the certainty of those things in which you are instructed. So here you have the nature of, of the writings, the nature of the gospel, especially of the resurrection, because he's going to write an accurate firsthand, a close to witness, you know, those people that were expert witnesses with expert knowledge that had experiential empirical knowledge and experience with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so Luke writes this historical data for you and I, so that, and initially for Theophilus, so that Theophilus will know that for certain, absolutely, you can rely on this because he's with the witnesses. He's with those that that spoke 
to Jesus, that touched Jesus, that that were around him both as he walked and also after he rose again. So this is the type of this is the type of um, gospel that you have. That if you would go to the if you would go to court, which they have many many have gone to court regarding the evidence on the resurrection, and they have found that Jesus has rose from the dead just based on the data, not whether or not you believe it or not, not whether or not you delude you are delusional. Delusional means you can look at the facts and the evidence in the face and still deny it. This is the power of knowing the data, knowing how the Bible comes together, why it's so credible, and why its its nature is falsifiable. In other words, that prove it wrong. Go ahead. Try to prove it wrong. It invites you to test and to taste and see that the Lord is good. It invites you into it. Falsifiable. Make it, make, go, go prove it. And many have written books on the evidence of Christ that, uh, that went in skeptics, atheists, and come out believing the data because they could not believe the overwhelming evidence of the empty tube the risen Savior, the testimonies of the apostles, and the effects of its sense. Watch this. So now, what happened? Okay, don't forget, there's infallible proofs now. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 3, we told you that Jesus was there for 40 days. And in those 40 days, he made specific appearances. Remember the brothers, remember James, remember, remember, remember the family of Jesus did not believe in him, they thought he was crazy. That's their narrative. But in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1, same same verse, something happened. Acts chapter 1, 12 through 15. Here we have this. Don't forget, these the brothers of Jesus were not even at the cross. They weren't even at the cross. But watch, watch what happens here. Acts chapter 1, 12 through 15 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount Olive, from Mount Olive, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journeys away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were set, where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, this is important. That word and his brothers. Aldephias is the Greek word Aldephias. It means those who came out of the same womb. And when you look at, at Matthew, as we wrote, read earlier about the names of the brothers and how they attached themselves to Jesus because they came out of the womb of Mary. They come out of the same womb. That's the same brothers. So we identify this, that something happened within those 40 days. An appearance of Jesus to James shifted him around. Something happened. The power of the resurrection turned can you imagine being James thinking Jesus was crazy and next thing you know he's standing in front of you knowing that he de- died knowing that that he um he was making a mockery out of the family knowing that he he died of uh, a curse in the in the eyes of the Roman government the most humiliating death everything he said he was going to rise again on the third day and and all the crazy things he proclaimed about himself his brother James can you imagine the look on James's face and Jude's face when Jesus Christ appeared to them within that 40-day period I I, I I'm I'm baffled I'm baffled. In fact, I, I I don't know. I don't know what my reaction would have been if my perceptions would have to been changed immediately. I, I look at James chapter one. 
because this is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of the resurrection. When James chapter one, James addresses the church. Now, and again, let's let, let's take a good look at James too, because James is also known as James the Just, the pastor or the leader of the the early church. And uh, James, uh, one of his one of the historians, Hegesippus reports James was known as the just. Eusebius, another another one quotes um, Hegapus calling him camel knees because it was his habit to go into the temple and frequently found upon him was his knees bleeding for the people. Notice he was a prayer warrior. He was I mean, here's a guy that that didn't want to talk to Jesus while he was here, and now all he can do is talk with Jesus when he's there, when he's after the resurrection. What turned James? What will turn you? This is why. This is why. A person that is truly born again receives Christ in their heart. They're changed forever. I was blind, but now I see. It's that transformational perception, how they see a thing now. James could never see Jesus the same way. In fact, when James opens up his book in, in James chapter 1, verse 1, Listen to how listen to how he um, addresses his uh, his audience. He says, James, a bondservant, a duelos, a slave, a willing slave of God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why didn't he say, I, James, the brother of Jesus? No, no, because he saw Jesus as a brother before. Now he sees him as God raised from the dead. He doesn't see him as his brother. He sees him as the son of God. He sees him correctly. Before, he didn't see him correctly. Now he sees him correctly. The power of the risen savior. When you look at when you look at Jude, his other brother, remember, his other brother was at the upper room also. All the brothers, all the family that slid out of the womb, they were all saved. They were all there on the day of Pentecost. Watch this. Jude writes it this way. Jude, a bondservant, a duelos, a, a slave, a willing slave of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, doesn't even attach himself, doesn't even attach himself to Jesus as a, as, um, as a human. He attaches himself to his brother James the pastor of the church of the book of Acts. That's a unique dynamic that we need to link up with of the proof of the power of the resurrection is the changed life, is the changed perspective of those that grew up with Jesus, those that knew Jesus, those that spoke with Jesus, those that were raised with Jesus, those that looked at Jesus eye to eye and had breakfast with him, those that um, that had opinions about Jesus that were derived from human perspectives, those that listened to Jesus, that were raised with Jesus, that thought Jesus was absolutely crazy. And they admitted that. What changed it? The risen Savior. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, I like I like to end it right here because Paul uses, Paul uses this, this same ideology of the risen Savior. Okay? He uses the same ideology of the risen Savior, of James. And he, and he says this, okay? And he says this, for I delivered the verse three, 15 verse three. I don't I want to take up too much time and go through everything, but I just want to point here. It says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, and that he raised 
and he was buried, and he, that he rose again on the third day according to Scripture. This is important. This is important because he's telling you, he's telling you of a eyewitness account. He's telling you of a situation that is consistent with what Luke wrote. It's consistent with all the eyewitnesses, not the skeptics, okay? Even the historians point to the witnesses of the resurrection. Watch this. And that he rose, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to scriptures. That he, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. He was seen by Peter, then he was seen by the twelve. Now watch this. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present day, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also. So here you have these appearances, these witnesses, these people that were there, that wrote about their experience of prophetic proportions and is entered into the data for you and I to hang our faith on, to hang our belief on, to know that when Paul writes that if Jesus Christ has not raised from the dead, then our preaching's in vain, and that those that died before us, there is no hope for us nor them. This is the power of the resurrection. And as you look at the data, and as you begin to gain, gain confidence in who Jesus is, that even the scholars in universities that have fallen into the culture, when they look at the data, they cannot deny the facts. They cannot deny the facts, the evidence, the witnesses that point to Jesus has risen from the dead and he is Lord. God bless you. Take the lesson from James who called Jesus the son of God, not my big brother. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening to Prophetic Whispers. And I pray you wait for the next lesson to come out on the resurrection. Bye-bye. <laughs>